Welcome all. Uh, thank you for coming out on such a uh, cold evening in Yerushalayim. Uh, this week's shir uh, is uh, dedicated uh, to Judy's parents, Aleyah Mashalom, Naftali Ben Yitzchak, and Ruth Bat HaChaver Eliezer HaLevi. There should be a Melet Yosher for Judy and for the whole family. Baruch Hashem, Judy's family, as if you wouldn't know, but uh, because you've just met her here, is a family of the Shem Tiferet with Midot Tovot Niskavot, that really uh, is a lot to learn from uh, how to live life uh, and, uh, in, the, in the most beautiful of ways. Uh, so we're very proud to... And have, I knew them very well. Yes. Yeah. I slept at their house many times. We wish, we wish they were here with us in body, and we're happy that they're here with us in spirit. Judy's parents. I'm glad we didn't take you, but... Got a flat tire. <laughs> 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 yeah. We had a flat. Is there rooms? Oh. Yes, there's room everywhere. That's good. Please make yourself at home. Thank you. I'm home. Sorry to catch you. That's okay. So tonight's year, uh, also, I, I want to thank uh, our son Josh uh, for being able to uh, arrange for having the uh, the projector, a BIMCOM projector, which is very helpful. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, see some things that uh, tonight would have been, as you'll see, the worst night not to have a projector. Because uh, I think I'm getting, uh, if I'm not getting used to it, I'm getting more dependent on it. That having been said, um, Perik Zion, uh, which starts out uh, seemingly uh, harmlessly enough, uh, is going to be a bit of a surprise for us. Um, 
I will tip my hand as I like to do often and, and early. Uh, this is a shear about stress. Uh, and it's going to come to us in a, come to us, a, a yes, it, and it's particularly about stress in historical circumstances, uh, which takes us to the very opening sukim, right? Um, so we find ourselves, uh, if you remember last week, we left uh, Ishayahu up in Shmei Marom, right in the middle of the Beit in Shilmala, seeing his version of Maseh Merkava, the heavenly chariot, and the next parak begins, so uh, this is, um, I'm going to move this just a bit forward here so that you'll see why. Ah, there we go. Uh, here's our happy chart now, made its way to uh, the screen. So uh, Ahaz is the one uh, three lines down. Uh, he's the fellow we're interested in here. And you can see his, uh, the great earthquake happened in the days of Uziyahu, uh, and then there's Yotam, uh, his father, and then there's this king Ahav, Ahaz. Um, and the reason I say that this parak is about stress and historical stress is that what we read in the first psukim are that uh, he's got a real problem on his hand. And in order to appreciate the problem that he's got on his hands, I'm going to ask you to uh, not look at the words right now, because what I'm going to project is this. Um, red is an international symbol for things that are troublesome or frightful, and this is the first time in Sefer Yishayahu where we encounter the folks in red. Um, that being Ashur, and you, you'll see, just visually, uh, we have Ashur all over the place. And the reason that we have Ashur all over the place uh, is that Ashur is changing not only the world map, which is a cause of severe political stress, but it's also changing the world and the, and the, um, the direction of, of Yishayahu Anavi which is why we're here. Vahibi Me'achaz, we read, and what happened was that two kings um, formed a coalition. Ritzin, who's the king of Aram, we'll talk a little bit more about why that's significant, and Pekach Remaliyahu, were the king of Israel. Now, they've already asked Achaz to join their coalition. They formed a coalition because up north in Ashur, there's a king named Tiglat Pileser, uh, who is ready his armies, looking to expand his empire, and is about to invade the south. And everyone is literally freaking out, uh, except that the, the manner in which uh, Pekach and Ritzin, uh, oftentimes adversaries, here partners in a coalition, have this pipe dream of forming a coalition army uh, to fight off uh, the, uh, the Ashur Empire. So, Vayugad Levet David Lemor, Nacha Ram Al Ephraim, Vayana Levavo Levav Amo Kino Atzei Yar Mibnei Ruach, Vayomer Adonai Yishayahu Tzena Lekrat Achaz, Ata Ushar Yeshu Bnecha, El Ketzei Talat Habrecha El Yonah El Mesilat Zdei 
Coves. So, uh, two things we want to do here. We have four questions tonight. It's, we have two bishvats, so before Pesach, so don't freak out anymore. So the Ben Kol wants to know, Favus, the Grace of Nubi Yeshayahu, Mishtaran, and Politisha Zachni. What is the great prophet Isaiah doing messing around in political concerns? Not only that, Vayomer Hashem el Yeshayahu, Tseina Likrat Achaz, Atar Ushar Yashuv, Benecha. So this is against proper protocol. Those of you who understand protocol, uh, there's a prophetic protocol, and prophets are visited by dignitaries who want to seek out their advice, typically not with some exceptions, not the other way around, and of all things here is uh, Yeshayahu Anavi making a house call uh, 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 to uh, King Ahaz um, and King Ahaz is uh, fortifying what would later become the fortifications that Chizkiyahu will later form against another king of Ashur. And he's accompanied by his son. Uh, we are going to encounter three of Yeshayahu's sons. And I say sons in quotation marks. We'll hopefully get to that uh, uh, towards the end of the shiur tonight. And I want to say to you that Ahaz, at this point in time, is probably the most pathetic, most stressed out human being that you can imagine. He's not, I don't know what kind of leader to begin with, as we'll see, uh, and he's caught between a rock and a hard place. The rock that he's stuck with is, uh, he knows that Ashur is building forces to the north. Everyone apparently knows that the invasion is imminent. Um, and the hard place being that his, sister, his brother king, uh, uh, Pekach, and, uh, and his old adversary, the king of Aram, are now uh, on his doorstep because he's declined, apparently, to join in the, their coalition. And uh, so you've got the two of the, these uh, not simple nations uh, having now formed a force that's going to fight Ahaz. Um, and uh, they're, they're on their way to Yushalayim, and that's when Yeshayahu now enters into the political arena. And this is real politics as they call it in French. This is serious business. No one is ceding anything to anyone else. This is really tight stuff. So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu have to say to Ahaz? We'll come back to this as we pull this thing together. And he, two very, very interesting words. I, I imagine we could spend the entire time just wondering about what those words actually mean. I guess if you're uh, uh, of a particular uh, uh, religious bent, uh, this should move you towards being very conservative uh, in, your, in your outlook and very uh, guarded. But basically what he's saying is, take it easy, relax, don't get excited. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm spoiling uh, this year, but uh, I like doing that. Um, essentially, the message here is uh, with the entire world moving and shaking, what a Kodesh Baruch Hu expects, and, the, and, and this is astonishing when you think about it, a Kodesh Baruch Hu is sending Yishayahu directly from the Maaseh Merkava, and what he's saying to him is, I want you to explain 
my political policy to the Jewish people forever and any other nations who might be interested. Relax. Calm down. Don't get excited. Um, uh, not only that, uh, and, he, and he says to him, uh, you know, it's, it's not, not like we haven't read the, uh, you know, the Jerusalem Post. We know, Yan ki lecha aram ra'a Ephraim ben uven lemor, Nalem So, you know, we understand what your problem is. One second. We understand what your problem is. You have a, a large empire, burgeoning empire up north. That's the rock. The hard place is that now you have these two kings who are about to uh, descend on you to try and uh, force your hand, or literally just get you out of the way, and ko amaravinoi lo takum The reason that you should relax is ain't nothing happening. Nothing's going to happen. Yes, Richard. How can you take this specific incident and say it is le'ulam? You'll see. Okay. That that's sort of my point at the end, uh, and it's not it's not it's not a political statement on my part. Uh, I'm not a pacifist either. So, uh, the first question we want to, we asked is, what is, we asked, uh, the, the Ben Kol asked, is what is Yeshayahu doing in the midst of this political mess, number one? And number two, how odd is it that he's coming off the, the Marseille Merkava, and this is, so to speak, his second, his first mission, or his second calling, if you will, is he's now trying to re-enter with a bang, and look at what he's settled with. This reminds me of something that the Rav once said, which is really one of the more thrilling things that I, or, or fascinating things I ever remember him saying in a shir. He, he, he was talking about the Akedas Yitzchak, and he said, um, so really, when you open the Chumash, you open Chumash Bereshit at the end of Parshat Vayera, so, uh, you, you know, we've just gone through the Akedah, and uh, and Yitzchak has has survived. Uh, he's not being slaughtered by his own father, which is a good thing. And what are the psukim that come right after that? So we had Vayhi Acharei Hadvarim which is the opening pasuk for the Akedah, and then we conclude with Vayhi Acharei Hadvarim Ha'ilah Vayugad Lavram Lemor Hinei Yelda Milkagam He Banim Lenachor Achicha Et Utz Bechorov Et Buzachiv Et Kemuel Aviram, and there's also a Pilegesh who gives birth. And really, so the Rav famously asked, he says, "What's going on here? We just got off one of the most exalted." Uh, Episodes in all of our history, and now we're hearing about these children that Avram is going to is going to send off gladly. There's not going to have any really significant part in Jewish history. So the Rav said, uh, "Well, you know, this is the way of the world. <coughs> People go on with business as usual." So here comes Yeshayahu, and what is God interested? God is interested with he's got this very anxious king of of Yehuda, 
who sees himself in an impossible situation, which is only going to get worse, it seems. So the, the answer to the first question is, really reveals two things. One is that here is uh, Yeshayahu, the great Navi, being involved with the day-to-day business of world events in an astonishing way, number one. And number two, um, as we're going to see, Achaz is hardly a man of stellar, stellar character. And the fact that he's anxious and upset uh, and, and freaking out really should be of no concern to all the Almighty. The Almighty's got other people to be worried about. He sends Yeshayahu off to go visit the man at his fortifications, and he says to him, chill out, relax, there's nothing to be worried about. Chaste Hashem, uh, I mean, if it's hard to imagine, uh, well, maybe it's a sign from God. <laughs> I overstepped my bounds. Uh, well, we're okay here, I think, right? It's just a little awkward. Uh, anyways, so that's that's revealing in the way that God operates in history in this in this respect. Now, uh, the next thing I want you to notice is Vayomel. Uh, the, uh, I don't have my cursor here. Oh, I do. Yeah. So, Vayomel, Shimuna Beit David. Second question. So here's Yeshayahu. He's making the visit, and who's he speaking to? Is he speaking to the king? No, he's not speaking to the king. He's speaking to whoever Beit David is. Who is Beit David? And why is he speaking to them? Uh, and I'll tell you why, or at least I th- why we think it might be, because in the Pasuk before, we have this line that's really quite a, a hard-hitting line, in Loteaminu, Loteamenu. So Yeshayahu says to Achaz and everybody standing there, and if you are not going to, if you're not going to be uh, believers, um, you're not going to believe what I've got to say, anyways. Uh, if you have no loyalty, if you have no imun, this message is going to be lost on you. Um, I'm just going to quickly run down here. Oh, okay. Um, you can see why I, I, it was important to to have the projector here tonight. Uh, so it, all that green area. You can see where, where Judah is down here, right? And all these forces are collecting up here. They're going to be sending, descending over here. And Melech Israel and uh, Melech Haram around Damascus are now hoping um, that something that happened 120 years before this was going to help them out. Namely, another king of, his, of Israel <coughs> named Ahav and another king of Aram named Hadadezer had successfully put off an, another... Assyrian or one of the first Syrian uh, incursions uh, south uh, by Shalmaneser III. So here are uh, the next uh, generations down, uh, hoping that they can pull off the same the same thing. But what I wanted to get to here was Rashi's comment. Uh, so, uh, just to say something about Achaz. So uh, the Malachi Asharis Rashi brings uh, say Nihu. Uh, uh, Really, you want to be, you want to trouble yourself with with this uh, no goodness, so to speak. The Radak says, you know, uh, he's shaking in his shoes. Uh, what is the point of all of this? And here's the Rashi we're looking for. Right. 
So Rashi says, he understands that the way that Yeshayahu is addressing these people that he's traveled to go speak to is that they're really not going to listen. There's no loyalty. There's no connection there. There's no, there's no one's listening to him. And we wonder whether that's the reason he's speaking to Beit David, because if you remember back to Sefer Shmuel, which I didn't put on this... <laughs> it's very funny to speak about putting it on the sheet. It's literally on the sheet. On my sheet, not on this sheet. <laughs> uh, but the reason he's speaking to Beit David uh, might be for one of two reasons. Whoever Beit David are, they're the only people who are really interested in anything uh, that, uh, that the Navi might say. And second of all, one wonders whether in some shape or form uh, could Yeshayahu possibly been fomenting, looking to foment some kind of uh, a coup d'etat? I don't know. <laughs> But it's an interesting thought to think about in that respect. The pasuk that I was looking for in Sefer Shmuel is when Shmuel is speaking to, da- to King David, he says, V'ne'eman beitcha u'mamaptcha ad olam. Same shorish, ne'eman, ne'emanut. These guys, Beit David, they have a history of being maminim and b'nei maminim, as we would say now. Beit Achaz, or, or the, the royal court, is another story. Um, now we encounter, uh, so uh, he's telling them to quiet, quiet down. He's prophesizing the birth of a child who's going to be called Immanuel. God is with us. We'll get back to that theme hopefully in a bit. Um, and I think we're going to lose that whole thing unless we. Yeah, thanks, Joel. I appreciate it. Yeah, you, you've got some experience tying things up. So we've got one, one son who's called Shar Yashuv. Then we've got another son called Immanuel. And yet here's the third one uh, that the Navi is prophesizing about, is Maher Shalal Chashbaz, uh, which is word out, uh, how'd you like to have a kid with a handle like that? Uh, uh, so, which literally means, you know, uh, this goes out to, F, to the... Uh, to King, uh, to King Pekach and his buddy Ritzin, saying, um, uh, you know, in, in the shortest of time, you're going to be overcome by Ashur, and you're going to be, uh, and, and, and they're going to uh, take the booty of, uh, and the best of your land, and it's all going to be gone. And Yeshayahu is so certain about this nevuah uh, that he says to them, you know, write it down. Uh, I want you to write a, have a written record of this, etc." Now, the next thing that happens here, which is really uh, the third point, and in its own way, just uh, very, very puzzling. So the first message that is given to Ahaz is, don't worry, relax. And uh, Ahaz is not having any of that. So, Vayosef Adonai Daber El Ahaz Leimor. So, Yeshayahu... Uh, uh, speaks to Ahaz in the way that that you might imagine uh, that bad genie joke. Now, if, if you came for nothing else, this is one of the more puzzling things of the evening. 
So Yeshayahu says to King Ahaz, um, I really meant it when I said I want you to calm down. There's nothing to worry about. And if you really aren't sure that I mean what I say, uh, I'd like you to ask me anything. Uh, Rashi and the Mepharshim understand that he's willing to do tchiyat hametim. He's willing to bring Eliyahu back to, back to life. He's willing to do anything. That's what he means by hamek sheila o hagbalamala. I'll raise up anything that you want. I'll make anything happen. <laughs> it's, it's all. It's this goes beyond. We just read about Moshe. You know, giving otot and moftim. This is like no. Ask anything that you'd like. It, it's just unbelievable. And what's Achaz's response? Lo eshal. I'm not going to ask. Lo anaseh et Hashem. I'm not interested in testing God. So let me ask you for a minute. Uh, is this a from guy? Is this a, is this a guy whose response is, I'm really, you know, uh, I'm not interested in, uh, I don't need to test God? So I'll give you a moment to ponder that before we move to the next piece of this. Based on the sources that we're going to quote here, um, those of you who grew up in the 60s will understand what it is that uh, that Achaz is really saying. And the reason he's saying the things that he's, he, uh, he doesn't want any part of the deal with Hashem is that he had other plans. Um, and so I take you to Melachim Bet that gives us a little bit of a background. And what we find out here is that uh, Achaz was not a stellar character. He was an Oveda Avodazara. And then, uh, in response to, okay, this is very important, in response to um, his awareness that uh, the other two kings have invited him in the coalition and that they're about to attack him, Vayishlach Achaz Malachim El Tiglat Lemor. He sends an emissary up north to the Assyrians, to King Tiglat Pileser, and he says to him, Avdecha uvincha ani, Alevahosheni mikaf melecharam mikaf melech Israel hakamim alai. He wants an alliance with the Assyrians. Now, an alliance in the ancient world is not like signing a peace treaty, uh, it's, it's deeper than that. Vayikach achaz is a kesevet azahav animsa beis Hashem, uvotsros beit hamelech, vayishlach lemelech Ashur. He bribes him. So, let's just think about what's happening here. He's now told him, I'm your son, I'm your servant. 
In other words, he's pledged his absolute fealty to the king of Ashur. The next thing he's done is he's given him a big fat bribe, and anybody who studied even a little bit of history knows that a bribe is really a short-term solution. This is not a very forward-thinking king or somebody who's really thinking uh, long-term. He's panicking. And then, when he comes back to Yerushalayim, what he does is he's busy cutting down the doors of the Beit HaMikdash. And uh, he's refashioning the Beit HaMikdash after the, the same uh, place that he saw up north when he was visiting the king. Josh, how do I get out of this thing over here? Click on the address of the screen. Okay, great. Thank you. Now, this is so awful that um, in Divrei Hayomim, we read that um, not only did he uh, do all of that, Gam Sagru Daltota Ulam Vayichabua Tanerot Uktoret, the Loik Tiru, Veola Lohelu, Bakodish Ladunai. So what does all of that really mean? Well, some of you may remember this. Sleeping. What does it really mean for a king of, of Israel to go ahead, lock the doors of the Beit HaMikdash, put a, another uh, religion's temple right next to the, the altar in the, in the Beit HaMikdash, and all of that? At the end of the day, um, he's pro- it seems like Ahaz declined the offer that Yeshayahu gave him to test God because God, as far as he was concerned, was entirely irrelevant. Certainly the God of Israel was really no- of no concern of his at this point. Uh, the- there's a Gemara in the Yushalmi, in, I-, I believe it's in Sanhedrin, where uh, the Gemara says as follows, Ko amar achaz, im ein gdayim ein tiyashim, im ein tiyashim ein tzon, v'yem tzon ein ro'eh, v'yem ein ro'eh ein olam, v'yem ein olam, etc. What the Gemara is really saying is that uh, the Yerushalmi imparts uh, to King Achaz an attitude which is actually pretty uh, forward-thinking. But the problem is that his forward plan is that he's looking to destroy everything Jewish. So it's not only that, uh, that he's following a pact with the Assyrians and adopting everything that they do. His, his idea is, well, if I bring uh, an alternate religion into, the, into Israel, uh, there really won't be any worship of God. Uh, there won't be any religious Jews around. And, In other words, what he's really after is he, wants, he doesn't even want assimilation. He wants God out of the picture entirely. So, if we go back and we ask ourselves two questions, I think we begin to see some things in a very different perspective. We asked why is Yeshayahu now involved and why is he involved in politics? He's not just involved in politics. Like we mentioned earlier, he's there to calm down a nervous king and to give him another option other than alliance with, with uh, the Assyrians and the end. Uh, I mean, this is a king who's willing now... I, we said that he, you know, he was short-sighted, he was panicky, uh, that he believed that bribing uh, was going to be a long-term solution. Now he's willing to 
literally cut the throat of the nation, the spiritual throat of the nation that he's the king of, and sacrifice all of that for what? What does he really think the future is going to look like? So if we said that uh, there was a necessity for Yeshayahu to come and speak with him, it had to do that things were really, really desperate, not just in terms of Ahaz's own uh, panicky state of mind, uh, but because the future of Kal Yisrael hung in the balance. And so comes Yeshayahu with his son, Shar Yashuv. No matter what happens in the future, the people will return here. And he tells him, Hishamer v'hashket. There's nothing really to worry about. And when we speak about Emun, what Yeshayahu is really doing is asking for a call to faith. And a, a faith and a trust in a Baruch that says, stay loyal, Hishamer v'hashket, it's a politic that makes no sense in the real world. I mean, if you think about prophecy as being a, a mission impossible uh, because no one's listening, the proposal is even more more extreme. He's saying, uh, "Don't be pragmatic. Don't be overly pragmatic. Don't join uh, the the enemy, Ashur. Um, everything will turn out okay." And then he and then he tells him, uh, "And if and as far as the coalition is concerned, I'm naming one of my children." Maher Shlal Chashbaz to tell you that these guys are history, they're, they're, they're goners, they're not going to put up any kind of fight uh, and by the time the kid grows up um, the, the people who are leading the coalition are all going to be dead they'll, they'll, they'll be uh, destroyed and everything that they care about is going to be taken away so here we get a glimpse into the politics of God through the, the a vision of Yeshayahu where God says to the Jewish people at that time and in the long run, the world will shake, the world will tremble. I'm asking you, you know, you'll do what you need to do to stay alive. But at the end, the, the position, the God position, which is really stunning, and Richard, you hit it right on the, on, the, on the head here. How does it happen that this is what God expects of the Jewish people? Just wait, relax, be calm. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Clearly, Achaz was in no um, frame of mind to be interested in what Yeshayahu was saying. There's really no chance at all that he's going to abide by, by saying, but in that audience of Beit David, there's somebody else who's listening. And we imagine, I, I don't know this for a fact, but we imagine that one of the people in the audience is Chizkiyahu. And one of the things that's going to be interesting about Chizkiyahu, who, who we will encounter soon, is he does something that's really very, very strange. When he becomes king, uh, later in... Uh, uh, you, can, you can look at that, that, that piece in, in Divrei Hayamim again. Um, what he does when he takes over, you see there he is, he's the successor to the throne, the bottom of the line. There's another Gemara that is not on this sheet, but is on my sheet, but is based on, on the Psukim in, uh, in Divrei Ayamim. It's flashing through uh, the, 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 the alternative Mizbeach, if you will, that Achaz put in the Beit HaMikdash. 
וישכב אחז עם אבותיו ויקבר עם אבותיו בעיר דוד ואם לא חזקיהו בנו תחתיו. And do you know what, what Chizkiyahu does? According to the Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Bavli, he, takes, he, ta uh, he unearths his father's bones and he drags them through the streets of Yerushalayim. And the rabbis in Sanhedrin say that this is one of, one of the radical things that Chizkiyahu did that the rabbis were in favor of. Now I have to say that before, in the Skus of the Shir, I never understood, I, I, I made the same face you made that was like, really? How, 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 is that, how is that done, I guess? And the answer is, Chizkiyahu, uh, if we're on the right path here, and we understood the, the spiritual attitude of Ahaz, this was not just a, a panicky king who was reacting. This was a very stubborn man who, if we understand the Gemara Yerushalmi correct, really wanted to eradicate Judaism as we know it as a, as a religion of, of, of Judah forever and for all time. So is God dead? Uh, uh, this king, Ahaz, that we read about today, he closed the doors and he shut off the lights. That was going if it were, if it were up to him, that would have been the end of 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 Malchut Beit David and everything that David hoped for when he wanted to build a Beit Hamikdash and renew uh, and centralize Jerusalem as the spiritual capital of of of, of Israel and of and of Judah. So the last point that we wanted to make, um, and I, I I'm happy to uh, have any of your thoughts about this. Um, I, I just want to show you uh, as an introduction to that. Um, these names uh, of these children are really, of Yeshayahu, which was the fourth issue we wanted to touch on, are, is really, are really interesting, right? So we have Shar Yashuv, we mentioned earlier. We have Maher Chash Shalal Baz. We have Immanuel, who's about to be born. Exactly where it is on this sheet here. Oh, I had a <laughs> just a short break. In so doing, uh, it, I was referring back to the real politic of Yeshayahu. Uh, he said no to the coalition. He said fooey to the politics of appeasement in regard to the Assyrians. Uh, Isaiah is, was no Neville Chamberlain, nor would he be a fan of the infamous Vichy government and its head Marshal Petan. Instead, in the spirit of the mission given to Moshe at Yamsuf, he said. But what I wanted was a, um, a Targum Unculus, I'm sorry, Targum Yonatan, uh, speaking on the names of uh, the sons of Yeshayahu. And he says something really quite interesting. He's, he reports uh, that, in his opinion, uh, these may not necessarily have been Yeshayahu's biological children, they may have been his students. Now, you know, why would he say such a thing? Um, I don't really know. Uh, but we have at least two possible approaches, well, well, we'll name three and then we'll pull this together, about what, what is this business of the family of the Navi, family planning in the house of Yishayahu, what is God doing here? So we have the possibility uh, raised uh, in the text itself that he, he and, the, and Mrs. Yeshayahu 
were going to have these three boys, and they were going to be named that way, so that when people met them on the street or they saw the prophet walking around, talk about a lesson in virtual reality, it's like, oh, what's your kid's name? Well, yeah, uh, Emmanuel. Oh, really? Okay. That's good to know. God's with I guess, you know, as long as the kid's here, yeah. Or uh, the, uh, the other possibility uh, of Targum Yonatan is that they were, these were students of Yeshayahu. They weren't his actual biological children, which makes the onus of the naming and all of that a little bit uh, less uh, peculiar, if you will. Not that we need to get away from peculiar, because everything about the Navi is peculiar. Um, and the last possibility is, is taking the Rambam and taking the Rambam literally. Uh, the Rambam uh, in the Mora Nevochim and Shemona Prakim talks about the experience of Nevoah quite extensively. And he says that a lot of things that we read in the Navi are things that appear to the Navi in his dream state, in his state of Nivuah. In other words, uh, the text says that these children were born. Um, if we follow the Rambam literally, it's possible that these were part of the imagery and part of the Nivuah that, that inspired the Navi. It doesn't always necessarily mean uh, that these uh, children were actually walking around um, uh, and uh, it may have been Yeshayahu's way of conveying uh, the power of the message that he was given. Uh, so what's the answer to stress in, in, from God's point of view? And if it comes to do with history, there are two really important points. One, if you're talking about the annihilation of the Jewish people, if you're talking as, as uh, Achaz had to believe it, uh, in his own heart, that, uh, that he was looking at the end of everything, uh, what the prophet has to say to him is, doesn't mean that we're going to have an easy path through history, doesn't mean that sometimes we're not going to have to draw on all the resources, spiritual, military, whatever else, but anybody tells you that, uh, that the Jewish people are gone, that's number one, where our, our destiny is assured. And the other is this very, very intriguing combination, which I hope uh, uh, sings you to sleep tonight. Hishamer, which I would like to interpret as feel safe, feel like God is protecting you. Vahashket, I need for you to calm down because your decision making, you know, uh, I've got a one minute to one-minute uh, uh, commercial for psych psychology here. Uh, we know now when we look at PET scans uh, that uh, uh, decision-making is the frontal part of the cerebral cortex. And we also know that when people are freaked out and they go into fight-or-flight states, that the blood leaves the, uh, the cerebral cortex and starts moving to the extremities, the fingers, uh, and the feet, so that you can literally, it's called fight-or-flight for a good reason. Um, if you're, if you're thinking, as I say to my patients all the time, you know, if you're thinking of if God wanted us to survive, it's a good thing that he gave us this tool, because otherwise we'd be sitting here saying, well, let's see, the bear that's charging, let me figure this out. Is this a brown bear? Is this a gray bear? Is this a bear that's likely to eat me? By that time, you'll be lunch. So fight or flight is a good thing in that respect. But in an existential sense, there is Hishamer v'hashkeit. Um, feel safe, feel protected, know that you can quiet your, your thoughts, you don't have to, we don't have to make decisions in Jewish history out of a position of fight or flight like Ahazda did, because as we learn 
and Perak Zion Chet, uh, those don't necessarily come to uh, uh, good decision-making, even on the human level, and from the God level, in terms of God's plan for the Jewish people in our destiny. Um, uh, there's really something to be said for Ishamer Hashkeit, especially when it's in the context of the people that Yeshayahu is really speaking to, are the people who are the Maminim and the B'nai Maminim. Uh, and it's in that faith that we greet the new Chodesh, that we greet uh, the world events, and we hope uh, that the words of Yeshayahu um, will bring us uh, to the Nechama, which he speaks about later in the Sefer. Again, thank you for coming out in the cold. Um, and Mir Tashem, next week we will enter into uh, Perak Tet. But Ashur is not going away. Will it be uh, the, the folks in red? I, I have no idea whether they actually wore red or not. But uh, anyways, th those folks are going to be around, uh, and we're going to have to deal with them uh, through the eyes of the Prophet. Thank you so much for coming. Shavuot of Kodeshtov. Yes, it is. Huh?